Welcome everyone, welcome to those on the live stream. If you're in Gold Coast or uh, if you're even in Uganda or anyone who's just listening and watching, welcome to those in Yarrawonga. Um, I looked here and thought there's not many here. And I thought maybe there's been the rapture and we are, the group of us aren't going. But welcome to you all, good to see you all. And uh, I've got something that God's laid on my heart. I hope it encourages you and challenges you for 2022. Thanks, Ezzy, for your, the worship. Um, really felt God's presence. The, the last song says, will you bring me more than a song or I will bring you more than a song? Is 2022 going to be a time where you bring God more than a song? A song just represents coming to church on a Sunday and that's basically it. God, in Romans 12, it says that God wants us to be living sacrifices. He wants us to actually live our lives as a sacrifice that's pleasing to him. And that's the challenge. He's preparing us for something special. And it's a matter of positioning our hearts and posturing our hearts so that we can do that. What I'm going to share today is uh, one of the things that stops us from actually having a full relationship with, with uh, God is, is pain, is heartache is trials. They can actually get in the way of our relationship with God. So I'm going to share a message, some good news. God's purpose for our pain. Your pain, my pain. I'm sure if I ask some questions or you're honest, there's people here that have had, been through quite a bit. Broken relationships, health issues, maybe their children are far from God financial pressure, rejection, failure, betrayal, loss of a loved one unexpectedly. I want to encourage you that God specialises in taking bad situations and turning them around for his glory. Let me read from Matthew 5.45. Thank you. So scripture, Matthew 5.45, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Christians are not immune to suffering. That's something that most of us would have an understanding of and we can accept that. You know, we, sometimes we feel like maybe, you know, we're, we're Christians, we've said, God, I'm yours and can you look after us and give us a special treatment but it says in the word of God that the sun rises on the good and the evil and also the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. So that's something we need to understand. That's a, a theological point that we need to have a good understanding of, not expect us to have a, a, a privileged, privileged uh, you know, path. But this one I struggle with. This one I've had to really wrestle with, especially over the last few years. I've got a but here. It's the word of God, so it must be true. 
James 1.2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you first face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. That's tough. How do you count your trials as pure joy? I'm hoping to unpack a few things and, and give a little bit of insight from experience and from the Word of God that helps us understand this. Um, but really, in God's wisdom, he allows us to go through challenges, struggles, pain, suffering and even tragedy because he cares more about our character than our comfort. So our comfort is not his number one priority. He's wanting to actually shape us and mould us into people that become a little bit more like Jesus that might be attractive to, to a lost and broken generation. So he has a plan. How can we consider our pain as pure joy? I'm just going to read from the scripture, thanks, guys. 2 Corinthians 4 verses 7 to 10 and 15 to 18 to help us get a bit of a, an insight into why we have pain. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 7 from the NIV. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. And down at verse 16 to 18 it says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So here's the key, verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporal. What is unseen is eternal. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness, your faithfulness in each of our lives. Lord, we've all got a story. We've all got a story on how you carried us through the most difficult times in our lives. I thank you, Lord, that you have worked all things together for my good and for your glory according to your purposes. And Lord, I ask as I share your word today, the experiences that you've taken me through, and from the word of God, I pray that it will move and touch hearts for people who are listening on the live stream and people here at Yarrawonga. I thank you for this opportunity and I ask, Lord, that you would, it would be your words, Lord, not mine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Why does God allow us to have and go through pain? He could stop it. He could, not, he could actually organise things so that we didn't have to. But he knows us intricately well and intimately well. So let's have a look at his motivation behind allowing us to go through pain. Matthew 18, 12 is the story of the parable of the lost sheep. The parable of the lost sheep is where Jesus is the good shepherd. He's talking about the good shepherd. And the good shepherd leaves the 99 because one is lost. If we are Christians and we're in a relationship with Jesus, we're part of the 99. 
But God still wants to care for us, love us, help us to grow and, and uh, be a significant part of our lives. He wants to be central. But do you know what his higher priority is? The one that's lost. The one that's lost. So he will do whatever it takes in our lives because his focus is on eternal eternal things. He has an eternal perspective. And the problem we have here living on earth, or I have, I don't know whether you do or not, is I get caught up in earthly values. God is saying, I want you to shift your eyes away. And as we've discussed, um, Kaz has mentioned it, Keith mentioned it as well, Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those other things that we need will be added to us. See, I reckon there's been a shift. I must admit there's been a shift in my life, in my prayer life. You look at your prayer life and and go, all right, am I praying for the kingdom and trusting God with the things in my life? Or am I praying for God to help me in the areas of my life that I am desperately needing to fix up now while I'm here on earth? Because if we're doing that, we've got it wrong. We have to actually shift our... And prayer life's a great um, gauge on where our heart is where our faith is and so God's shift helped me shift my mind from my own selfish needs onto his purpose and his plans so we know we have a basic understanding why God allows us to go through pain so I want to go to the second point God is preparing each one of us for an assignment of significance we are chosen and blessed to be a blessing so every one of us here at Yarrawonga Gold Coast Uganda anyone listening Cobram God has a plan and he's preparing you for something of eternal significance. And our job is to partner with God and work out what that is so that we can actually run that race that he's marked out with us with perseverance. Preparation is part of God's plan. If we quickly go through the story of Joseph, most of you would know it, but I'll, I'll quickly run through it. Um, it gives us a great example of Joseph's preparation for what God had called him to do. So Joseph was the son of Jacob, had 12 sons. He was the pr- a privileged son. He was the favourite son, coat of many colours, a dreamer. He dreamed that everyone would be bowing down and worshipping him. His brothers hated him. They got to the stage where they said, we want to kill our brother. So they, instead of killing him, they sold him to some slave traders. He found himself in Egypt. And that's a pretty big shock for where Joseph was at to where he finished up. But it says in the word of God that God was with Joseph and all he did, he prospered. Everything he did, he prospered. And so they keep going and then he gets into Potiphar's, who was the second in charge of Egypt at the time. He's um, helping the household and looking after things there. And Potiphar's wife, pretty keen on Joseph, started chasing him around. He pushed her away, said, I'm not going to be tempted, I'm not going to be doing that. And he actually, uh, then she actually accused him of actually chasing after her and um, making advances to her. So Potiphar wasn't happy, threw him in jail for seven years. He's in there. When he got into jail, it said, God was with Joseph and he prospered. This cycle keeps going on. All of a sudden, Pharaoh, head of Egypt, has a dream. Seven fat cows, seven thin cows, couldn't answer it, couldn't, he was troubled by it. Someone said, Joseph, in jail, he interprets dreams, got him out of jail. He said, seven years. That means, seven fat cows means, Pharaoh, that we're going to have, that nation of Egypt is going to have 
abundant blessing for seven years. Seven thin cows means there's going to be a worldwide famine. This is what you need to do. Save and store when you're having the good time and then you'll be blessed during the, the famine time. This actually happened and all of a sudden the whole of the, the, the world is actually in a famine. Joseph's brothers come across from Israel, from Israel and they bow down and worship him and that prophecy was fulfilled. And God used Joseph for an eternal significance. But here's the, here's the problem, or here's not the problem, here's the dilemma. If Joseph hadn't have been faithful and obedient with what, while he was going through the pain and the struggle and the suffering, then he wouldn't have partnered with God. So if he had have actually been tempted by Potiphar's wife, end of the story for Joseph, God would have found another way to actually bring his purposes into, into fruition. So it's the same with us. We actually have to be obedient. We have to be led by God and uh, be obedient and fight that, that good fight and run that race marked out for us. A few lessons we can learn from Joseph's life. God's love for Joseph was unconditional. He knew that. He was brought up in a family that taught him that God loved him. God's blessings for Joseph, as I said, were based on obedience. If we disobey, we don't get the blessing. It's as simple as that. Joseph had a conviction. If God is for me, who can be against me? So we've got to have convictions about God. Not wishy-washy thoughts, I read that somewhere. It's a conviction deep in our spirit that under pressure we're actually going to walk in that victory because that's what God says. And God had a plan for Joseph's life that had eternal significance. He's got a plan for every one of us that has eternal significance. Your life, your life could actually touch one particular person's life and their life could touch thousands. I remember Yongi Cho. It was, uh, I think he had a million people at his church at one stage in South Korea. He was depressed. He was about to um, commit suicide. He had no hope in his life. And he was there thinking, I'm going to finish myself off. A little girl, 16, 17-year-old girl, came to his door, knocked on the door, told him about Jesus led him to the Lord, and his life turned around. Then he went out, and God used him to save millions and millions of lives that are going to eternity for him. So your life is significant. Your life is important. So we know that God allows us to go through pain. We know that he's preparing our hearts for something significant, eternal significance. Number three, God has a plan. God is working behind the scenes for your good and his eternal purposes. The problem is we just can't see it all the time. And this is where we have to actually walk by faith, not by sight and feelings. We look at things that are going on in our life and the circumstances and we go, where are you, God, in the middle of this? I can't see you. He goes, that's okay. You're not meant to. You're meant to trust me. You're meant to trust me. You're meant to have faith. Faith activates my power to work in your life. I don't feel like it. It's got nothing to do with your feelings. We walk by faith, not by sight, not by feelings. 2 Kings chapter 6 talks about Elisha's servant. So Elisha was a, a prophet, a man of God, and he'd actually caused, uh, found himself with a lot of enemies coming against him, the Amalekites, the Midianites, uh, the Vegemites and the Termites. They were all after him. They were all after him. He wasn't happy. They were coming at him. 
and he's, they're in a, in a house, and they're staying in a house with his servant, and they look out, the servant looks out, and he sees all the enemies surrounding the house. He goes, oh no, we're gone, we're gone, we're finished. And Elisha said this, he said, Lord, open my servant's eyes so he can see. Lord opened his eyes, he looked out, and there was an army of angels surrounding the enemy. And God had a great victory, and Gehazi, he learned a good lesson, that there are things going on that we can't see. God's working behind the scenes in your life, in my life, for his glory and for your good. I want to encourage you, if you're going through something at the moment, trust God, because he is faithful to finish what he starts. And I've got an amazing story. This story I'm going to share now, I'll try and keep it to three or four minutes. True story. Uh, I remember Terry sharing it to me. It was very moving. It speaks about God's working behind the scenes when people can't see. So I'll do my best to remember it. Terry, fix me up. If there's anything I miss, just let me know. 1921, there was a, a couple from Sweden called David and Sphere Flood. They felt the call of God on their lives. They wanted to go to the mission field. So they were going to go to, to Africa and they went with another couple, the Ericssons, from Sweden as well. And they landed in Zaire, or for now I think the, the nation's called the Democratic Republic of Congo. Now for our Ugandan friends, it's a neighbour. It's on the western side of Uganda and is, is right there. So this is a story about how Christianity started in 1921 in uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. So off they go, and they're all excited, and they're ready to, to serve God. So they arrive uh, at a base, a mission base, two hours away um, from the capital, and that's where they're set up. And then they felt led to go to a, a village. So off they go, and they said, oh, there's a village two hours away. So they get their stuff, and off they go into the village. They get there, ready to actually speak the gospel, and lead thousands to the Lord and have this great revival, the chief goes, don't want you here. Get out of here. So half an hour up the top of a hill, he lets them stay up there, not allowed to come in. He'll, I'll send a, one boy up every day with some food and you, um, and, and he will look after you, but you are, cannot come down into our village. So they were fairly discouraged. Then this, the lady Sphere Flood, four foot eleven, said, well, if I, if I can't minister and pray for hundreds of thousands of people. I've got one native American, uh, African boy. I'm going to preach to him. So she, she led him to Christ. One, one soul. And that, then they were discouraged because they thought that is it. For months, nothing else happened. No other success. She fell pregnant. Malaria was going on. 17 days later, sadly, complications at the birth, sphere flood died. The husband lost it. He cursed God, said, I can't do this, I can't look after the baby. He walked away from God and headed back to Sweden. Left the baby with the Ericssons. Twelve months later, the Ericssons got a disease and they died. They go back to the missions camp and they go back to the missions camp and there's an American couple there who are missionaries. They adopted the little girl called Aggie, who's 12 months old. They take Aggie back to America. She marries kids. Uh, they, they pastor they a church and they're sort of Bible teaching, doing all that sort of stuff, and they have a, a good life. Later on down the track, she goes, I want to actually reconnect with my dad. So she 
organises to go to Sweden to try and catch up with her dad. She gets there, her dad's 77, an alcoholic and about to die. She connects with the, the half-brothers and that sort of stuff. They said, whatever you do, don't mention the name of God. He's been cursing God every single time. She goes in, they embrace each other. So Aggie embraces her dad, who he hadn't seen, for, he hadn't seen her for 77 years. They're weeping and crying. She goes, Father, I've found out some news. It's good news. God planned things to work out for our good and for his glory. And he, he stiffened up and said, no, I'm not going to do that. And di- I didn't want anything to do with it. She said, no. You know the little boy who came with the food back and forth? He started a Christian school at the village. There are now, the chief is now a Christian. There are 600 Christians in that village because of what you and mum did. The father softened his heart. She said goodbye. He led her to Christ again. He gave his heart back to Jesus. She went back to America two weeks later. He went to be with Jesus in heaven. Years later, the story gets better. Years later, they, the, I think they were working for um, an institution, a Bible institution, and they'd worked for a long time, so they paid for them to go to a conference in London. They get over there, and Aggie, the little girl notices that the guest speaker is from Zaire, from the Democratic Republic of uh, Congo. She goes, maybe, maybe she's heard of my mum. I'm going to actually go over and, and speak to him. She goes over there. The boy that she led, the boy that she led to Christ was the guest speaker at the conference. He had been involved in starting, a hun- in, they now had 110,000 baptised believers in the country of Zaire, and they, he said, Svea Flood is the most famous person in our Christian heritage in our country, despite the fact that she, led, she only stay, was alive for 17 days after the birth of her daughter. Now, I hear that and I'm, I'm weeping and, and crying because I'm going, we have no idea what God's doing in our life behind the scenes. God is working out all things together for our good and for his glory despite what we're going through. Number four, God's purpose. What's God's purpose in all this? In the pain that we go through. And it says in 2 Corinthians, I think we'll have it up there, won't we, guys? Chapter 4. No, we don't have it. That's, that's another one. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says it's to make us treasures in jars of clay. So God's purpose of allowing us to go through pain is to make us treasures in jars of clay. What's that mean? What's a treasure in jars of clay? Well, in Isaiah it says that God is the potter and we are the clay. So if God's the potter and we're the clay, that's good. But you know the problem? The treasure inside of us is the Holy Spirit. But when we go through stuff, our heart becomes hardened often. And we actually push God away. It comes like a heart of stone. And when you're a potter, God the potter, he can't make anything. He can't change anything in your life if your heart is hard. If it's like stone. He needs it to be soft, malleable, teachable. 
and then you become a treasure in jars of clay. How does he do this? I won't go through my testimony. You would have heard it 17 or 18 times before. But basically, for those who haven't, seven years of uh, previous marriage, failed marriage, um, and but I hung on three years of three years of uh, separation, four years of divorce. I hung in there uh, until finally God said, "That's enough. Move on." And he said, "I've got a wife for you, Kaz. She's amazing." Uh, and he, on, he amazingly blessed me after seven years of holding on faithfully to a promise that I was hoping to get. And so, but during that time, he did so much in me. He took me through an extremely difficult time, but he worked it for his good and his glory. Last five years before that, I had some burnout, some mild depression. I was struggling to get through a day. That was tough going. And two years, last two years has been physical challenges. Open heart surgery, mini stroke, all that sort of stuff. But God's captured my heart. Where I, was, where I was before that to where I am now, God, I'm yours, fully surrendered. I wasn't there five years ago. He wants to do that in your heart. He allows you to go through struggles because he wants to grab hold of your heart and change you for his glory. So, you're probably wondering, you know, if, I'm going, if you're going through something really, really tough, you need to, there's different levels that you actually go through. How did I survive... And I was reflecting on how I survived the seven years when the initial stages when my marriage had broken up. I remember as the PE teacher at one of the Christian schools down there, I was that broken that I I remember going before school started into the storeroom with all the equipment, pulling the shed door down and just crying out to God, weeping for 15, 20 minutes, teach my classes, recess would come, back I go for more. Crying out to God, broken can't do this. Lunchtime would come and I'm on yard duty. It's pretty hard to do it on yard duty with kids all around so I couldn't really just cry out to God. So I just affirmed God's word. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loves me. Uh, He that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. And I kept going over and over and over and I affirmed scripture. Three months later, God lifted me up above that circumstances and got me through seven years of holding on to something that wasn't fulfilled but because He wanted to do a deep work in me. So how do you survive? Hold on to God, desperately hold on to him. But he wants you to more than survive when you're going through pain. He wants you to grow. How did I grow? I was thinking about it before. I used to go to church three times on a weekend, I remember. And if it was an older call, it could have been for an older call for someone with a sore leg. I was up the front anyway. It didn't matter. My heart was desperate for God. And I was broken. I had no pride left. I didn't care what people thought of me. You have to get to that place where you have no pride and you allow God to actually minister to you. So I was desperate for God during that time. And the last question, which is the the challenge, how did I count my trials as pure joy? When you're going through them, I'm not sure you can. But God's faithfulness, as I look back, I've got joy that God's allowed me to go through the physical challenges I've had. I've got joy that God's... Uh, allowed me to go through the mental challenges and the breakup that I've gone through because I've seen the work he's done. He's prepared me for something and I'm excited about the future. With you guys, God has a plan and a purpose that is way beyond your understanding. Uh, and I'll tell you what, something else that helped me 
I had a uh, prophetic word 27 years ago. Well-respected prophet, and he, he said, Greg, this is while I was in the middle of the early stages of my marriage breakup, and he goes, Greg, I've got uh, a word for you. He said, I see a picture of a vase, a vessel, a vase, and God's got it in his hands, and then God picks it up, throws it onto the ground, and smashes it. He goes, he picks it up, and puts it back together, makes it better and new, then does it again, and then does it again, and does it again over and over. I'm hoping that I'm almost done. <laughs> but the point was, and he asked God, the, the prophet asked God, why, did, why are we doing this? Why did you do that so many times? He said, because what I wanted to do was to get Greg, me, break him, put him back together so that he would become a vessel of honour that could be poured out into other people's lives. Now, I know how selfish I was. I know how much of a wretch I was. I know where I've been. You guys see me and go, oh, he's probably not a bad bloke. He's masked. I can mask things pretty well. I've been there. I'm a sinner of the highest order. But God has redeemed me. God has set me free. God has prepared me for his glory and his purpose. The last testimony is Michaela, my daughter. Um, when we arrived from Yarrawonga, up to Yarrawonga, from, she was in a Christian school, was pretty comfortable, a lot of friends and was pretty happy down there. We came to Yarrawonga and we were all excited and we convinced her that she should be excited. And, and uh, you know, uh, we get up here and she gets into the school and off she goes to the school and she had trouble finding a group of friends and found a bit, bunch of girls that were sort of couldn't fit into any other group and, and uh, stayed there for probably for three years, four, five and six and even year seven and couldn't break out of that group. Now, uh, to be honest, the girls were, when everything went well for those girls, they were good fun. But when things didn't go well, they were mean, they said things, they weren't encouraging, they were putting down. Michaela would come home upset, feeling bad about herself, low self-esteem. It was actually having a negative effect on Michaela. This went on for four years. Last year, we, she went across to the Peter 12 and had a, um, had a really good year. Found a group of girls that are you know, more encouraging and, and like-minded. So the point being that Michaela had went through a lot of pain with um, finding the friends that she really wanted some people to connect with. and It was painful for us as well, wasn't it? I mean, we felt it. But I want to tell you a couple of things. How God works all things together for... Michaela's good. We go to Uganda, and we're over in Uganda, and we're ministering at, a, at Bishop Solomon's place, and uh, his church. And his, his church is in a slum area. Michaela's out playing with the slum kids and ball games and dancing. And little Andrew's only four. So Andrew, we're about to have a, a meal in the middle of the day before we do some more ministry. And Andrew's, like, really getting upset because he obviously hasn't eaten for a long time. Michaela comes up to us and goes, Mum and Dad, you have to give Andrew some food. So she had a real heart for, a for Andrew and wanted and insisted that we got us. So we got him some food and he ate and that was good. So God started preparing her heart for people who were hurting, lost, struggling, downcast, downtrodden. We get to New Zealand for a family holiday. There's some homeless people on the side of the street. She goes, Dad, Dad, homeless people, what are we going to do about it? I said, I'm on holidays, I wouldn't mind a break. Um, but kept it in my mind. We get back to Yarrawonga, we read there are 21 homeless people in Yarrawonga. 
She goes, what are we going to do about it, Dad? I said, well, we're happy to actually contribute some money, buy those, some swags. I said, what are you going to do about it? So she, out of her own money, $100, bought a swag. We gave it to, I think, Rachel, were you? Did we go to, was it Yarrawonga Health? We connected with Yarrawonga Health and we, we handed over some money to buy some swags. That was another example of what God was doing in her life. We come back to, uh, to school this year. One of the girls, her friends, was struggling with some mental health issues during lockdown and really battling along. Michaela felt to actually write her a letter. So she wrote her a letter saying how much she valued her friendship and how much a good person she was and just encouraged her and then said, and I don't know whether you have know much about God, but I've got a relationship with him and he loves you too and he cares for you too. Gave the letter, it moved and touched her heart um, and she really responded well to that. So that was, again, something else happened. And just recently before Christmas, last story, another friend had a dislocated knee, missed out on the school camp and the end of year functions and that. So Michaela said, Dad, uh, um, this girl lives in Bundalong. Can you drive me down there? I want to go in with my own money and go get a, a meal for her from mixed kitchens or something and take it to her so that she'll feel part of what's going on. See, God uses the struggles and the pain that we're going through because he's shaping and moulding us for his glory. He will use Michaela for because she's got a soft heart that feels when other people are hurting. It's the same for each of us. Hang in there, guys. I'm almost done. In conclusion, we want to answer our original question. How do we count our trials as pure joy? Well, strangely enough, it's found in the Word of God. We read Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, Here's the answer. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the, the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. So as we finish, let's have a quick look at Jesus and what he went through. He went through some pain. Rejection from the religious leaders, rejection from man, denial, betrayal. Anyone ever felt that in any stage? Rejection, denial or fail? Yeah. Betrayal. Then he went through preparation. So there's God sitting in heaven. Jesus is over here. They've been Everyone's been worshipping them non-stop, 24-7. God says, Jesus, it's time to go to earth. Down you go, manger, 30 years, rejection, betrayal. The preparation of the 30 years, it says in Hebrews as well, that it was actually the suffering that actually helped him understand obedience. So Christ went through suffering to help him understand obedience obedience. Pain, preparation, plan. The plan was to love and teach 12 disciples, to invest in 12 men who would change the world. That was the plan that God had for his son. 
The purpose, to die and be raised to life to save the world for eternity. That was God, that was Jesus' purpose. Nothing else but to actually go through a cruel death to save us from a life away from him. But the good news is, he did, when he left, he actually gave us a promise. So it had pain, preparation, plan, purpose and promise. He gave us a promise. He promised to leave us the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is available for all of us. And the plan of, of us is, for us is that we actually use that to fulfil God's purpose in this world. So the challenge is, are we going to actually allow God to use us and to fill us with the Holy Spirit so that he can actually do his purposes in the world? We're going to have, I'm going to welcome Ezzy back for one more song. Before he does that, there were three groups of people or three things that I thought are stopping us from actually coming back into a relationship with God, going deeper in 2022. Um, the first one was discouragement. People have been through stuff. It's understandable. Discouragement is understandable. But we, but we don't want to stay there. So if you've been discouraged because people have let you down, because you felt God's let you down, uh, then I want to encourage you to respond to um, the ministry time coming up. So discouragement, that might speak to you. The other one is disobedience. Disobedience. Your lifestyle may not be in line with where God wants it to be. Um, The Israelites... God will, God will still work his purposes out in your life. But the Israelites had an 11-day journey, planned 11-day journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. But because of their disobedience, it took 40 years. Around and, around. And, I, and I really felt that some of us are going round and round in circles. 2022 is going to be exactly the same as 2021 unless we make a change. Unless we're serious and go, I want more of God change our lifestyle. So the third one is time. I love the fact that Terry's taken a day off work to allow himself to have some more time to spend, to do God's will. We're all busy. We're all busy, but I, I promise you that we could all make more time to go deeper in our relationship with God. We just need to make it a priority. If you are still watching hours and hours of Netflix, you're gaming most of the evening, um, or you're on Facebook and TV and social media, I reckon you could probably bring that back a peg or two and actually spend a bit more time with God and see what happens. That's a challenge. I I invite you to stand up and we're going to just... The song is called New Wine. Some of you might have experienced some crushing not understood what God was doing. But if this has spoken to you, if God's spoken to you at all, then just open your heart, give it to God and let him minister to you. Thanks, Eddie.